While you're turning, I just want to say it is, it is such an overwhelming blessing to see every single one of you here this morning. My heart all through the week looks forward to this day, right here, right now. Some who I haven't seen for going on three months now, and to be able to see you this morning, my heart is full. Um, I was raised in athletics, and so we would prepare all week for game day. Practice after practice. When game day came, your stomach was just churning because you're so excited. When that whistle blew, it was go time. Now, this is obviously not a game. <laughs> this is church, but I feel the same way. I get up on Sunday morning and my heart's churning. My stomach's a little, you know, uneasy because I get to go see Jesus' people at the church today. So thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, maybe you haven't been here in some time or you're, this is your first time here, please know this. We are thrilled you came today. Uh, we regularly say this. Well, we haven't said it in about three months, but we try to regularly say this, that when you walk in these doors, you are loved well and you are fed well. So hopefully now you receive the word as our nourishment this morning. Hopefully your heart has been prepared to study the word. Um, we are back in this wonderful passage. I hope your heart's been meditating on this this week. I absolutely love, love Psalm 139. I shared this last week that when I can remember the time in my life I had read this before, I had studied this before, but when God used this passage to just kind of transform the way I was thinking, it was when I was a junior in college. I came back uh, for Christmas break, and I could not get this passage out of my mind. Every day I would go to this passage and read it. My dad was a preacher, so I would go find his commentaries, <laughs> pull them off the shelf and be like, I got to, woo, this is awesome. And I would look at all the different metaphors and all the comparisons, just like we're doing today. And God used that in a dynamic way uh, to really just change my thinking as a junior in college. Uh, and so today what we're doing is simply an overflow of what God's teaching me. I want to assure you that when I get up here to speak on Sunday morning, it is not just something of, out of tradition. It's just, not just me getting up here because I have to. No, this is an overflow of what God is doing in my heart. Please understand that. Um, so this psalm, Psalm 139, if you've been reading through it this week, you'll be reminded that this, this is a real-life look at the real-life struggles of a real-life worshiper of God. We're talking about David. He doesn't hold back in just letting his emotions come out here. Last week, and I'm not going to go back there today, but in verses 19 through 22, you just see David's heart almost explode out on the page here. He, he is working through some dynamic frustrations in his life of what he's seen around us. And to me, that is why I think this passage is so appropriate for us right here, right now. Last week, we started by just talking about some of the anxieties we're going through in our culture, some of these apprehensions. Uh, even talking to some of you this week, talking to uh, some of you uh, yesterday, some of the things that happened, even our own community, incredibly troubling. The absolute depravity of the human heart coming out, being lived out day in, day out. The history books are right now being written. And in this time period, you just shake your head thinking, what is going on? And in times like that, just like David, 
we run to the scriptures. So uh, we don't have any children's program going right now as far as out there on the second floor, third floor, and there are a number of kids here and teenagers. Hey, we feel you, teenagers. Kids, when you hear these stories from your parents and you look at the news and you think, oh dear, I have to grow up in this world? Yes, you do, but here's why we're studying this passage. Because God has given us something to hold on to. In times of anxiety, in times of frustration and uncertainty, as we talked through this whole time, looking at Isaiah 40, Psalm 46, as we've been walking through, through that ridiculous video camera. <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for doing all that. But as I had to talk to the video camera, and you guys watched all week, what have we been doing? We've been running, running to the person and work of our great God, Amen. His nature. We're not going to find satisfaction in some cute book written out there or some article posted on some blog. We're in the Holy Scriptures. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is why we are here today. To, with David, study the Scriptures. This song is meant, this psalm, Psalm 139, is written to the choir master. It's meant to be sung as a song. It's beautiful. By the way, thank you for those in this congregation that sent me links to Psalm 139 songs this week. I love them. Thank you. There's a song to be sung. This is also written in beautiful Hebrew poetry. We talked about this last week. I'll just mention it. They're called strophes. They're called like stanzas. Like we just sang some songs. We sang them like one screen has a stanza, then the next screen has a stanza. That's like this. Um, in Hebrew poetry, the, the verse designations didn't come for thousands of years later after this was written. How, and they did a good job in this passage designating the, verse, the, the strophes. But you can clearly see the stanzas in this. There's 24 verses. There's four sections of six verses that are to be sung. Last week, we looked at the first six verses. Do you remember what they were about? Here's the thing we looked at last week. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. What are the first six verses about? It is about the fact that God knows you. Young to old, right now, God knows what's happening in your life. And this knowledge of God is not this like pie in the sky, super high, um, transcendent knowledge that we can never touch. No, in the scriptures we find, especially in this passage, it is personal. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, God knows what you're going through right now. I woke up this morning with some amazing burdens on my heart. Falling on my knees, I was overwhelmed with the fact that, Andrew, God knows what you're going through right now. God knows the burdens on your heart. So many burdens of different ones in the congregation here that I wake up praying for through the night, during the day. Burdens in my own life, of my own sanctification, the sanctification of my family. God knows those things. We found this in the passage. If you would look with me, I'm just going to read through them to kind of set our mindset uh, right on the passage. Would you look with me at verse 1? If you don't have it in the, your Bible or your device, you can turn your hand out over. It's on the back. Here's how David expresses himself to the Lord. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in or besiege me. You, you, you encompass me behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot even attain unto it. It is overwhelming. When we, went, when we concluded last week, we ran to this key idea. I'll mention another time and once more, and then we'll work into the key idea for today. Here it is. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. Now, I want us to look at the next couple verses, Psalm 139, 7 through 12, and see this key idea. Here it is. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the extent of God's presence with us. Would you look with me at verses 7 through 12? David says this, where, where shall I go? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, well, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, well, surely the darkness, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be like night. Be night. Verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning, let us try to wrap our minds around this. Through the unrest of the world around us that often overwhelms us, we must find security in the extent of God's presence with us. He is present. Let us run to that comfort. Um, by way of illustration, my mind's been going to this because uh, Thursday they actually had the season premiere of this. I will start off this by saying, uh, I'm not a big TV show guy, sorry. I'd rather get outdoors. <laughs> get outside and enjoy God's creation, but every once in a while, there'll be a show or something I get drawn into, and I'll watch it occasionally. This particular show, Kara's already shaking her head because she knows this is my favorite. Uh, this particular show has aired like once a year, sometimes twice. It is this one. Have you seen... Well, have you seen this? Yeah, all right. They premiered uh, seventh season Thursday night. And like, like I said, I don't like talking about TV shows here, but this is one I think that might be worth mentioning. All right, Alone. This is an amazingly creative uh, show. A lot of these supposed reality TV shows, what they do is they put someone, a cameraman with you, and they follow you all around. No, that is not this show. All right. What this show is, is they take 10 contestants, and you have 10 items that you, uh, you can bring with you. And they have a list of things you can bring. You cannot bring a firearm. You can bring a bow or an arrow and a, and, and a hatchet. You can bring 10 different items. And what they do is they go drop you off in this general region, but you're about five miles 
from each of your other competitors, and they drop you off with a massive camera case. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you have to film yourself. And what this show does is it takes you through the journey of personal struggles that these, these contestants go through. You have to survive with your 10 items, and they drop them off in extreme conditions. Right now, the show, well, this filmed obviously prior, but the one airing right now is, they call it the Arctic. It is in northern Canada. It is cold. They're basically right in the fall, so they have enough uh, wits about them to create a shelter, and then they enter into the winter. Feet of snow, all of the water is frozen. Well, this particular season has a sweet twist to it. I can't wait till next Thursday night. <laughs> All right? The twist is this. I mean, where before, if you survived the longest, you got $500,000. It was last person standing that didn't tap out with your GPS. They'll come pick you up right away. This season, it's whoever makes it 100 days gets a million dollars. 100 days. And in our minds, we think, oh, boy, that wouldn't be super bad. I could live out in a tent for 100 days. No, 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 no. That is not this show. The people have physical struggles that they're working through. We're talking about they have to come up with their own sustenance, food, and water. I mean, they have to do the hunter-gatherer. Forage the ground. Well, that works well until the snow starts flying. And then they have to have accumulated enough stuff to keep them through the winter or to go big game hunting and in like feet of snow sometimes. That is this, this show. You create a shelter. So you're trying to find shelter and sustenance. And so the only thing though is what I absolutely, absolutely love about this show is Im immediately we start thinking of the physical troubles they're going through. Oh man, that shelter. And they spend time you know, budgeting their calories. You can't consume too many calories doing all these projects or else you'll be emaciated. And they actually send medical teams to check your weight and body fat count. And if you don't check up, you're off the show. It's intense. But here's the point. I don't, didn't come to preach about alone this morning. Well, that kind of alone. But here's the point. Through this whole show, you watch these people going through these physical struggles. And some of them are stronger than others. Some of them are more adequate to stay out there than others. But by and large, almost every single one of them, some of them it's 24 hours in, some of them it's 24 days in, they start becoming overwhelmed with loneliness. They need people. As much as you want to be out on your own, like sometimes I'm thinking, look, watching the, the news and stuff, and I'm like, yep, sign me up. And honestly, I, I may or may not have fasted and prayed about applying to this show. But at any rate, instead of just highlighting the physical aspects of this, what the producers have done is they've started to watch the emotional aspects of this, the psychological aspects of this. And these people are recording themselves and all of a sudden they'll be fine through a sentence and then they will just break out in tears. And they can bring a picture of their family and their friends. And they look at this picture and they start crying. And they, they want them to film them because they want the drama. But you can tell this comes from the inside of their heart. They're lonely. They're alone. And as a pastor, I'm watching this show thinking, well, yeah, God has wired us for relationships. Amen. 
The other part of me is put me up there because I know I won't be alone because I got Psalm 139. Actually, a couple seasons ago, a missionary from Brazil wanted. He was with, God was with him. I love that. But here's the point. I watch that show and I think of these people way off in the northern Canada wilderness. But then I think about this. I think of Shasta County in Redding, California. We have active lifestyles. Lively families. We have a fairly active church. I want to tell you that I don't know how many times I talk with people that go home and they have the same sense of loneliness living here that those people have in the northern woods of Canada. We're lonely. In those most uncomfortable times, that loneliness creeps up in our hearts and tears might come down our face and that knot in our stomach thinking, I'm surrounded by people, but I feel so alone. Have you ever been there? I'm going to tell you, I think that's why God had David write these words in this passage. Not just because we're built as relational individuals, human beings, but because of those temptations in our lives when we feel alone, we have this passage to run to. We have the assurance that through God, I am not alone. We don't know exactly when David wrote this in his journey of, of worship of God. Sometimes I think it was very possibly when he was out there as a shepherd. We don't know. But just looking up at the stars thinking, I'm out here, but I'm not alone. Sometimes in my, in my mind, I think maybe he was in his house in the city of David, surrounded by servants and workers and family, and he's still thinking, I'm not alone. Even though I might feel like it, I'm not. We run to this passage. I showed some pictures there. Here's the passage. Here's the thought. Let's unpack this this morning. Through the unrest of the world around us, we can find, we must find security in the extent of God's presence with us. Tell you what, let's just unpack this one phrase at a time, one thought at a time. First of all, this. God's presence is personal. I want us to go to verse 7. Just as we did last week, this presence of God isn't just this some euphoric, like, above-ground presence of God that you never can touch into. No, David is very keen through the Holy Spirit to share with us that this presence of God is personal. He's with you and he's with me. Teenager, God is with you. Child, God is with you. Young adult, God is with you. Person older in your life, you're trying to figure out what the next step is your life. You have that doctor's appointment this week, the one that you've been scared about for five years. Brother and sister, God is with you. Amen. That is what this passage is about. And how does David say it? Would you look with me at verse 7? Where shall I go from your spirit, David says. Where shall I flee from your presence? Let's continue on in verses 8 through 12 and just, in your mind, highlight, or even on paper, highlight the personal pronouns used, I and me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not uh, dark to you, the night is bright as the day, the darkness is as light to you. What is this? 
We're not going to belabor this too much this morning. But the concept is this, simply this. This is a very affectionate David, overwhelmed with the fact that God is personally present with him. The great creator of all life, the sustainer of all life is with him, just as he is with you and with me. God was not just a divine floating over the face of the earth being. God was and is not the God simply of the nation of Israel who has these clear expectations of worship, obviously, in the scriptures. God is not just the God of the prophets and priests. We we need to understand this. No. God was the God of David personally. Transcendent. with you through it right now. We often send our kids out with these confounded cell phones. I mean, this week we're talking, Hannah and I, I kind of wish we'd go back to the age where there was none of this technology, you know? Go out. (laughs) I feel so tethered sometimes. But when our kids go some places, you know, we use the technology. Okay, take this phone with you, and you know what? If you get into some trouble or you need something, give us a call. I'll be there. Okay, that's nice. I'll be there kind of in theory, right? But that's different than me actually going with my son or daughter to the store. I am there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, there's so much more we could say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move. I don't want to just get caught up just in this one point. So uh, let's keep moving. Before we move away from this point, though, this. For new thousand years away in redemptive history from this, a lot has happened, as we talk about often, since this time when David wrote this, which is with primarily what? Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection. Amen. The new covenant with the new covenant believers, the church, the establishment of the church, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when we think about these things, we have to run these thoughts through that grid. We have to run our thoughts to grid like this. Jesus, about to go on the cross in the upper room with his disciples, what does he say in John 14? Remember with me what he says. Here's what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your translations will say a comforter. Empirically, he will give you a comforter. And he, and get this, to be with you forever. Amen. If you have come by grace, the Spirit will never leave you, brothers and sisters. When we think about this redemptive story, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us right here, right now. I love how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6 to this troubled church that was consumed with status. What does Paul say? He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you have been brought with a price. So glorify God with your body. What's the assurance of the scriptures? In the New Testament, we have this specifically, that the Holy Spirit of God is with you if you've come to Christ. 
by faith. He will not leave you. So when we read this awesome story from David, we love it, we meditate on it, but we realize this is so much more appropriate in a different way for you and for me right now through the indwelling, the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. All right, so David, as you go through this passage, he is overwhelmed with the personal presence of God. God's presence is personal, but then he says something else. God's presence is universal. Okay, let's just go back to the text. Verse seven, I'll go ahead and read verse 7, then we can go to verses 8, 9, and 10. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? And here it is. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, so what is this? Simply this. God is everywhere Presence. His presence is universal. He's, I mean, the, the theological term we use, he's omnipresent. God is not limited by our shape or, and or size restrictions. There's a theologian Grudem that some of us go to and read occasionally. He says this, God is present at the very point, at every point of space with his whole being. There's not a place in the universe that God has not been or is not currently at. Think about that. Okay, so we've enjoyed the last two weeks as a family. Uh, two weeks ago yesterday, I don't know how many of you stopped and watched this historic event that happened, SpaceX sending up that rocket. Did you guys watch that at all? Doug and Bob, <laughs> right? Doug and Bob are up in space now. But here's the deal. I'm watching this rocket up, go up, and I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. How could anybody ever create this in their mind to shoot that rocket? They are hundreds of miles away. They're over up in the You cannot restrict this God. 92 billion light years is what scientists estimate that we can see from the earth through all of our best microscopes, telescopes, whatever you have, tele, not micro, tele, telescopes. The best you can see 92 billion light years away. Diameter. And we're just getting started. <laughs> have you ever stopped and you looked up and you're like, wow. There's no known end to that. You go out at night in Redding, California, you see all those beautiful lights uh, it's called stars. And you think, I can see some of those, but not realizing there are billions and billions and billions and billions of other stars that we can't even see in other galaxies, billions of light years away. And David, I want us to think of this in this context, David, possibly as remembering back to those shepherd days when he was laying on the ground with that straw coming out of his mouth with all these sheep around him thinking, wow, God, you're big. Amen. I think that's exactly what he says. By a sense, I think they would. You know, all these, well, we're not going to get into that historically, but I bet he saw the birds fly up in the sky, and he's thinking, wow, that would be so cool, and they disappear. And David says, if I ascend up into heaven, you're there. He says this, another statement. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. What is that? Okay, well, don't get too complicated with that phrase. Sheol is the term, the abode of the dead. So if I go up there, you're there. If I enter into the ground as a, a dead person, guess what? You're still there. You haven't neglected me. If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. Okay, now let's not just think up and down. Let's think spatially, horizontally. How does he apply that? Well, look at the text with me. Verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What is this? Simply enough, in ancient Near Eastern culture, when you want to talk about the sunrise, what do you talk about? You talk about the wings of the morning. Where does the sunrise come up? The east. The eastern sky. Oh, this is so cool. I can imagine as David remembers his time when he was a shepherd out in the, in the fields and he, he looks up at the sky and you can see that little glimmer. You know what it's like when you see the sunrise? We often do this when we're hunting. You get out there, it's dark, and then you're like, yeah, almost shooting light. You see that little glimmer of light and then all of a sudden it's almost like the rays are just shooting across the sky all the way to the west. How does he explain the west? Well, he says this. Uh, if I were to dwell in the uttermost part of the sea... Okay, think about the sea in comparison to what these guys knew. Okay, we got the Sea of Galilee, yeah. But I want us to think bigger. Mediterranean. Okay, they have the same coastline facing as we would have in California coast. We're facing off to the west. We see some beautiful sunsets off the California coast, Oregon coast, off the western coast. Similar to what David would see. What's the best way he could say from east to west? When I see the morning Sky light up and travel all the way to the edge of the sea. What is he saying? Not only is God as far up and as far down as I can think, God is as far east and as far west as I can think. And remember when we talked about those mirrorisms in Hebrew poetry? Two extremes comparing two extremes while including everything in the middle? That's exactly what he's just done. I can't go east, you're not there. I can't go west, you're not there. By the way, we were talking about this in staff meeting this week. Who put this to test? And we got this wonderful prophet in the Old Testament named Jonah. <laughs> he put this to test. You, buddy Jonah, you cannot run from this God. Just like we need to remind ourselves sometimes. I need to remind myself, buddy, Andrew, you can't run from this God. Um, this is the same for you and for me every day of our lives if we go up. He's there. If we go down, he's there. If we go east, he's there. If we go west, he's there. And then the passage clearly says this, even there shall your hand lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Oh, this is so good. Okay, in all of this expanse of space, picture God Almighty walking right next to you with his hand held open. This God has got you. His hand's right there. And if you want to think about the different degrees of how God holds on to you, he says, you're with me. Your hand shall lead me. But then it goes a bit diff uh, to a greater degree. He says, your right hand shall hold me. Okay, what's the difference? Okay, I'm going to go in my backyard with, in our pastures with my daughter, Eva or Emma. And when the horses come around, I'll hold their hands and we'll just walk around. I've got them. We're walking around. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hold their hand probably a little looser there than I would in the New York City subway system. 
Uh, we did that two years ago with all our kids, all five of them. <laughs> New York subway. I mean, I'm telling you, we were on edge. Boom, laser eyes all over the place. Walking all five kids through the subways, holding on. I was holding on to Eva's hand tight. She wanted to go talk to everyone, I think, <laughs> which is great. He's got us. You know he's there. He's comforting you. But there's other times when you go through the, as the psalmist says, through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what? He's not just walking next to you. He is holding on to you. He's got you. I mean, when you read the story of the scriptures, as Jesus Christ himself in John 10 explains this, how does he explain it to his disciples? Think with me of this. In our minds, John 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who, gave, who has given them me, to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he capstones Amen. the entire discussion with this. I and my Father are one. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in those darkest times of your life, God is not abandoning you. God is holding on to you. Amen. So as you go through this text, we find this. God's presence is personal, God's presence is universal, and now we find this, God's presence is continual. Okay, just, let's make this simple and practical. God doesn't take breaks. Amen. This, this God doesn't clock out. Okay, that was a hard day. Whew. We need a substitute. No, this God does not clock out. How do we read this with David? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is, is, is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is light with you. I mean, notice in this passage how many times we see this mirrorism again, these extremes, darkness and light. I mean, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but these are built-in time indicators from the beginning of, of, of creation. Light and darkness in the creation account is very clear. These are built in so that we can understand days and times. But the basic fact is this, and it's real deep, real, real deep. Darkness is scary. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Darkness is scary. We don't like darkness. I mean, we put that to practice and see that almost every day with our kids. If you remember back when you were a little kid, you put that to practice. I remember being a little kid and I would go down into the basement. They don't have as many basements here in Redding, California, but we had basements out where I lived. Going down to the basement, I'm about to take that last step, just freaked out. Thinking, God, just take my life right now. Just take my life right now. Because I knew something was going to get me down there. You freaked out, or now it's going to the barn, the, bar the dark barn, or the attic, the dark attic by yourself. We're still scared. Children are scared of dark. Well, that's not just children. I mean, probably right now you're thinking of events in your life where you entered into some darkness. Uh, if maybe like last year when we had like several days of darkness without power, but maybe events in your life where you think, oh boy, that was a hairy situation. I remember, and I won't get into this too much, but I remember most of the times when I've been stuck in the dark has been adventuring with one of my brothers, usually hunting. Because we're so driven to go get those elk. And we put ourselves into these precarious situations. I remember one particular time, my brother Jono and I, um, he, I was more or less trying to go with him to get his elk. And we, uh, 
we were down at this valley and we knew we had seen the elk up on this ridge and they were up. You had to go up. And we had another buddy of ours that went back to the camp and we were like, hey, let's go get them. We're talking 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We got to get there before they start moving for the evening, start coming down to graze. So we just tank up the hill and we look at each other and we get to the top of the hill. We had to cross the river, deep ravine. I'm glad you got your flashlight, Jono. I'm glad you got yours, Andrew. No light. And then guess what? The elk came out and we were too stubborn to leave. And so we're taking, I didn't take a shot. My brother took a shot. Elk didn't go down. I, I think that was God's sovereign provision that it didn't go down. But it's dark and now we're looking at each other and we're thinking, we got to go down that and cross that river? In November, in the mountains of Colorado, without a light? And our hearts start beating like this. So we understand the concept of darkness. We want to stay away from it. Well, that's, I can think of that as being a clear expression of what David in the Scriptures is going through. Okay, so right now we've been thinking, and I'll wrap this up. We've been thinking about physical darkness. But I want to take a break right now and think about metaphoric darkness. What are we talking about? How do you explain it to somebody when you've gone through rough times in your life and trials, intense trials? How, how do you explain that? Here's generally how we explain it. Boy, I'm just going through some dark times right now. There's some tough times. I'm going to say, that's not abnormal to the scriptures. Psalm 23, David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Actually, if you look at that phrase, one of the ways you can translate that phrase is, I've gone through the valley of darkness. with absolute darkness. The biblical fact is this, though, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have to hold on to this. God does not just enjoy the good times with us. God is with us in the bad times. God is with us in the good times just as He's with us in the bad times. I think we find this assurance in the book of Hebrews. These people, the readers of Hebrews, meditating on the Old Testament Scriptures so often... These Hebrew people, I think they would run to this thought as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, this promise, I will never, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes in those deepest, darkest times of our lives when we just want to give up or cry or go home, we can find assurance that God hasn't left us. He's right there with us, holding on to us. So what? There's so much more that we could say about this wonderful text, but I want us to go to this. So what? How, how is this text going to make any difference in our lives this week? I want to stand up here and in this... I do not. I don't come close. Not even any one of the elders here. As much as we want to try to know the body of Christ here, we do not. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. That God's presence with you right now should lead to two responses. One of comfort and one of exhortation. Another way of saying it is one of comfort and one of conviction. In the scriptures, these are very clear themes. What's the comfort? Well, this is the, the fun part. Through whatever we are going through right now, physically, emotionally, relational, 
financially, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, we have this comfort that God will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, Jesus Christ, prior to ascending up into heaven, he says this. It's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28 of your Bibles. He says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And I love this because it's, 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 it's just implied. Go. Get out there to the nations. And as you go to the scary nations to tell Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But that's more than just something we say when we baptize people. What is he saying? Why did he mention Father, Son, Holy Spirit? He says, teach them about them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, here it is. I am with you always Amen. to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us hold on to that comfort. Whatever you're going through right now, hold on to the comfort that God will never let you go. Teen, God will never let you go. Young adult, uh, child, God will never let you go. Then this, is God's presence a comfort to me? Is God's presence an exhortation to me. Ask yourself that. Okay, what, what's the point here? I think the point is very clearly Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. The point here is the accountability structure of the presence of God. The point here, I believe, is found very, very clearly in the last two verses of this text. We looked at the first one last week when we talked about the knowledge of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. What about verse 24? And see. You can't see something if you're not present there. I think it's... Illustration brief that helps us come to life in my mind. My little daughter Emma is trying to keep up with her bigger sister Eva and they're walking on these pavers and Hannah and I are sitting there enjoying a, a moment of conversation and Emma says, announces across the yard, watch me dada, watch Emma dada, watch me. Well, I'm watching her but she wanted me to engage in seeing her because she wanted to see me walk, her walk these pavers like a big girl. I'm going to tell you, that's what David is saying here. I know you see me God. But watch me, God. Watch every single step I take. Know me. Watch me. And as you're watching me, watch as I, I pursue a life of purity and holiness in the name of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Watch me as I live a life of purity according to the clear scriptures that we find here. Watch me as David, as, as actually Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. We studied this a couple months ago. Philippians chapter 4, 5. Let your graciousness be made known to all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. Amen. He's watching. So that brothers and sisters in Christ, this stu study that we talked about today should lead us to two conclusions. We must find the presence of God as a comfort, but we must also find the presence of God as an encouragement, as an exhortation that the eyes of the Lord see everything, beholding the evil and the good. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the extent of God's presence with us. 
Come back next week and we'll look at the next six verses talking about the power of this amazing God. So God, we're so thankful for this passage we could study today. I thank you for the listening ears and the gracious hearts. I want to thank you for the time we could spend meditating on this powerful passage. You're so good to us, God. I want to thank you that you are present with us. God, I want to take this moment, though, and pray because I know there are some in this room that have heard about your internal presence through the Holy Spirit, but they have not experienced it. God, yes, you're present with us and that you see everything and you know everything perfectly well, but God, I pray that if there are any here today that have not come to a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed this morning, really, however you'd like to pray. Can I ask you this? Have you ever been rescued? I'm not talking about being pulled from a pool or from a pond or from a river or from a lake. I'm talking about has Jesus Christ ever rescued your soul? We were born into this world with a serious problem, that was sin. It was a grievous offense against a holy God. We are sinners not just because we were born into a sinful human race, but we are sinners because we choose to sin against this God. Because God is holy, He must deal with that sin. He deals personally with that sin. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the beauty of the rescuer, Jesus Christ. Please hear this. That holy God sent a holy son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to suffer a sacrificial death for you and for me. He didn't stay dead, however experienced a victorious resurrection. And why is that significant? Because he provided new life for sinners. Sinners like you and me. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Can I encourage you with that this morning? Would, to this, would this day be the day when you call on Jesus to save your soul? Young ones, older ones, would this be that day? If you would like to know more about that, I know uh, we'll be dismissing it a bit, not a lot of fellowship happening, but I will still be here. If you want to talk more, come to me, another one of the elders. We would love to share with you more on this. Know this, though, that the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today could be that day. When you can truly experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Others here today that have received Jesus Christ by grace through faith, would you close out this service with a prayer of dedication, a prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God for His presence with you and then dedicate to walk that watch me would you pray that right now father watch me this week as I seek to live for you
God, we thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. I pray that you'd be blessed. Please bless as we close out with an anthem of praise to you. I pray, God, that you would remind us of this passage all week long and prepare our hearts for further study next week. We love you and we thank you for the privilege of being here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Would you stand together as we close out in an anthem of praise to our God as we sing, He is our God.